Turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We're moving on. Quite frankly, I wasn't sure we would ever get to this day. Where we're, we're real close to the end of the book of Ephesians. I hope it's um, been a good study for you. We have two paragraphs left. Ephesians 6, this morning, verses 5 through 9. Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Hear, hear now God's word. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will render service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters, do the same things to them, and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. This morning I want us to uh, consider this passage of Scripture. It might seem strange to you, you know, if... If I weren't preaching verse by verse through uh, the book of Ephesians, I would have never picked this uh, passage at all. And the reason is because it begins with a word we're not accustomed to in American life. It begins with the word slaves. It's addressing slaves directly. And probably, you know, none of you would publicly say that's who you are. Uh, some of you may feel like you're a slave to, to something. I don't know. But you're not going to... Embrace that as your designation. So why this passage? Well, God has it here for us. Obviously, the first audience, slavery was a fact of life. It was a way of life. Um, it was not questioned. Uh, it was not something someone sought to abolish. In the first century, when Rome was in charge of the world and the Ephesians were getting this letter, uh, there were probably six million slaves and that was fairly close to one half of the population. So every other person you saw was a slave. And when we read it here, we see slaves are members of the church. So if you're having a church service, half of your congregation may well be a slave. And God takes the time in this passage to directly address them. He doesn't seem to ever really directly address the concept of slavery throughout Scripture. But when you have it present among you, he tells you how to deal with it. And he's talking about it here. Slavery is still a fact of life. Just because we happen to live in a country where we don't see as much of it. What, what is happening here is underground. But slavery above ground and very, is still very much a fact of life. There's over 30 million, 30 to 45 million slaves in the world today. The greater concentration of them are in India, China, Pakistan, some other countries. But uh, there's a huge population of slaves. It's never been uh, done away with and it's not likely that it's going, going to happen in our lifetime either. So how do we deal with it? Well, there's some supercultural principles here too that what works for slaves and masters also works for employees and employers 
So most preachers in the American world say, well, you know, take these principles because you have an employer, that's your master, that's the one over you, the authority over you in the work world, and these principles apply, you're to be under their authority and submissive to them. So yes, that's why I call this sermon Christianity Taken to Work. How do we live this life of being a believer, a Christian, in the work world? Whether we're slave or not, how? because there's directions here to the bosses as well as the servants, to the employers as well as the employees, to the slaves as well as the masters. So those principles apply, and we need to, to seek them out and, and understand what it is. As Christians, we share something um, that is extremely intimate with slaves, and we need to embrace it, not turn away from it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First, uh, that may not be right, but it's 1 Corinthians. Let me get there. 1 Corinthians 6, I think. Yes, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20. says this, Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Catch this phrase, and that you are not your own. Clear principle to a slave. I have been bought. I am not my own. I have to do what the master says. Verse 20, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Paul was very fond of describing himself as a slave, as a bondservant. He saw very clearly that he had been purchased by the blood of Christ. That nothing saves you except the blood of Christ. And that purchase that Christ made, that redemption of us, makes us just naturally want to say, Master, how, how do you want me to live? How do you want me to respond? So don't think the language strange to us as we think about slaves and masters. It's really not at all. And there's a sense in which all of us should, should embrace and want to be a slave of Christ. If you've not been bought with the blood of Christ, you want that because that redemption, that purchase enables you to inherit all the glory of heaven that Christ has for his own. Uh, so as we look at this passage, think about as Christians what we share with slaves, as Christians what we share with bosses, what we share with those who are under the bosses, and let us all seek to be those willing servants that God wants us to be um, in the work world. How do we take our Christianity to work? Well, first of all, let me say this. Christians, slaves are not. Slaves are masters. Christians, we have a principle that we never seek to abuse people. We never condone people abuse, whether a master or whether slave, because we understand the principle that we're all made in the image of God and we're precious to Him. We don't seek to mar or obscure the image of God. So as we seek to apply this, really the principle is how do we treat one another as believers? We should be treating one another so nicely that we produce an environment of, of peace and unity righteousness and love it's not an environment of abuse 
And that's the language that comes through this, that if, if you're a slave and you respond nicely to your master, or if you're a master and you respond nicely to your, stay, to your slave, these things are going to be distinctly different from the world. We're, we're to, to, first of all, be bond servants of Christ, slaves of Christ, and that changes everything. So I see three principles here that I think we can cling to and, and, and take these principles into our world, into our work environment. First principle is submission. Submission, just getting the fact that we are under the authority of Christ. Second principle, sincerity, that, that we do what we do from the heart, sincerely, from the heart as unto Christ. And the third principle is salary. We all want to know, where's the money? Well, how much do we make? We, we've got to get to the place in life where we trust our pay to Christ. That's a principle that's clearly put here. Let's, for, let's look at them. First of all, the whole principle of submissiveness that's found throughout this uh, passage. Again, verse 5. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. You know, you're going to be obedient. You're going to obey. Um, there's this, this principle of submissiveness that you need to render as you would to Christ. Um, verse 6. As slaves of Christ, you're doing the will of God. This obedience, this submission. So you've got to embrace this principle of submissiveness. Uh, so much would fall into place if we would get this. We live in a culture that says, I don't have to be submissive to anybody. I have to get to do what I want. And that's, that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is, no, I, I, don't, I don't even want to do what I want. There's many times what I want is sinful. I, I want to do what... God wants. I want God's will. I want to be submissive to Him. I want to live my life under His power, under His dominion, under His authority. He's been trying to teach us this principle all the way back in chapter 5, verse 21. Be submissive to one another in the fear of Christ. Verse 22, wives, be submissive to your husbands. Chapter 6, verse 1, children, submissive to your parents. And now, chapter 6, verse 5, slaves, submissive to your masters. This principle of submission is now brought up four times in the same you know, section of Scripture saying it's a principle we need to get that we're always under dominion. We're always under authority. We need to learn to live our lives under Christ. And when you do that, then it makes it easier to live your life under someone else, whatever that person, boss, or station in life is, that we need to learn to be submissive. And you say, well, the people that are over me are not good. Well, God deals with that. He says, you need to do it whether they're good or not. A clearer verse, look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. 1 Peter 2, verse 18. It says this, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect and then catch this, not only to those who are good and gentle. It's like, duh, anybody could be respectful to somebody who's always good and gentle. He says, but be submissive to your masters, even to those who are unreasonable. I like that term, because unreasonable is, is that term that says, you've got somebody who doesn't get it. 
They, they're, they're not even logical. They're not reasonable. They're asking you to do stuff that doesn't make sense. It says, yeah, and I want you to be submissive to them. I want you to understand what it is to work under the good and the bad. Uh, practice respect for these people who God has placed over us. Now, there's some safeguards in place, obviously. It's, in Ephesians 6, it says, With good will uh, render service. What kind of service? Back in verse 6, doing the will of God from the heart. That's always the, the safeguard. God never tells us to sin. So in other words, you're not going to be submissive unto sin. You're going to be submissive unto righteousness. You're going to be submissive. You're supposed to do what they say, those who are over you, as long as it's consistent with the will of God. You're to be doing the will of God. So if, so if, if your husband or your parents or your bosses, you see it doesn't matter the chain of command, if they ask, are asking you to do something contrary to the will of God, that's when you seek to respectfully disagree. I want to be submissive, I want to be respectful, I want to do what you want to say, but I, I need to do it consistent with the will of God because there's always an authority higher than any other authority, and that's God. He's put other authorities in place. We are ultimately all to submit to Him. His will must reign supreme. So that's the safeguard. You know, when people come to me, what, should I sin? No, 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 no. There's always that safeguard that we seek to... To, and, and I always think of the example of Daniel. Just Daniel was asked to do some things that were sinful. So go back and read. How did Daniel deal with his authorities? He pulls them aside quietly, privately, not to put anybody on the spot, not to remove the tensions. And he says, you know, can we do this another way? He comes up with alternative plans. So, and he makes it clear, I want to be submissive. I want to do what you say. This is what you want. Can we get there another way and do it in the will of God? And his superior said, okay, I'll give you a trial. I'll let you try that. That's a great example of, of, of being under authority all in Daniel 1 and living still in the will of God. And that's what God is calling us to do is to be under authority, to respect the authorities he's given us, to live according to his will, this principle of submission. Well, if we do that, it will make us the best workers, the best employees, it will also make us the best bosses. So I started thinking through that. That's not an, this is not an exhaustive list that I've given you, that if, if we really get submission to Christ and work and live as those who are slaves to Christ, submissive to Christ in everything, what will be the fruit of that? One of the things, I mentioned five things. One is loyalty. We'll be loyal to the company, loyal to the business, loyal to the home, loyal to the ministry, whatever it is. Um, a verse I thought of, Proverbs 17, 17, there is a friend that sticks you know, closer to the brother. A brother's loyal. It starts talking about the loyalty of a brother in that passage. And if you read uh, uh, the literature on how to hire folks, these, this is one of the ingredients you're looking for when you're hiring somebody. Is this person going to be a team player? Is he going to be loyal to, to the team, to the company? Is he going to be someone that's going to be divisive? Is he going to be speaking about behind your back? Is he going to be a gossip? Is he going to uh, divide things up? Or is he going to be all in? 
we want people that are loyal. And someone who's submissive gets that. Responding always to authority with respect, with encouragement. Submissive. Not trying to fight against uh, the chain of command. That is one of the fruits of Christian workers. Uh, we really need to create a culture in society where uh, even the non-Christian says, I want to find a Christian. Because Christians have the ingredients I want in an employee. Um, that should be the fruit of our life. So we should be loyal. Second, uh, it should produce servant attitude uh, in behavior. Um, obviously, if we're being submissive, that's uh, the lifestyle of service. And we should be seeking to produce that, um, that others would see it. Look at Matthew 5, 41 and 42. Matthew 5, 41 and 42. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says this. He says, whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you. Do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Um, Think about the ingredients here. Uh, someone wants you to do something. It's basically saying, go over and beyond. Go do more. If he wants you to do something that's tough, show him you'll go even further. And you'll do more than he ever dreamed. That's the fruit of being in Christ is you know, we're not lazy. We're interested in helping. We desire to help. We're doing it as unto the Lord. We're doing it to Philippians 3, 5, to prefer others is more important than ourselves. Uh, yes, boss. Yes, master. Why should such terms be strange? It's like, be glad to do that and some. Because that's the way Christ has treated me, and that's the way Christ wants me to treat others. Third, uh, we, we, we produce reliability. We're re reliable and hardworking. The Sabbath principle teaches that. Uh, the fact that you're here every Sunday means you get the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. But that Sabbath command goes on. Six days, it says, you shall work and do all of your labor. And on the seventh day, rest. One of the things that we teach our kids early on, one of the things that we begin to develop early on just from this fourth commandment, the Sabbath command, is that we're workers. We work six days so that we can start the week with resting in Christ, evaluating life from the Word of God and living life for Christ. So, you know, there's plenty of people I run into who say, well, I couldn't get it all done. I got to work on Sunday. I'm saying, no, you don't get it. You've got to get it all done. You've got to learn to be a worker. The, the command says work six days and then rest. You've got to get it all. You're, you're being lazy. You're not prioritizing. You're not doing something. Work six days, but you rest. You find somebody who learns that and gets that. They've got priorities. Those people are reliable. You can count on them. They, they know a schedule. They keep a schedule. Every week, they're reliable, hardworking individuals, the best. Um, so again, it's, 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 it's what God teaches us, not to be lazy, but to be 
very diligent. One of my favorite verses about work is, excuse me, Colossians 3, verse 23. And it says this, it says, Whatever you do, do your work hardly as for the Lord rather than for men. Whatever you do, so it doesn't matter what your vocation, what your job, what your calling, you do it heartily, we'll get to that principle, sincerely, not for people, but for the Lord. You're always serving the Lord. If you're always serving the Lord, you want to do it heartily. Um, you want to just be all in. Uh, that makes you very reliable, very hardworking. Fourth ingredient, we're, we're teachable and willing to learn. A boss usually, or master usually has his or her ideas. They want certain things a certain way. Those under them should be teachable, and we are. We're teachable. It's like, tell me how you want it done, when you want it done. I'll listen. Uh, a servant, good servant, is one who is a listener, teachable, willing to learn. Look at Proverbs 15, 31 and 32 speaks to this principle. Proverbs 15 31 and 32 says, he, who, he whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. He who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. What a great concept. Great words. Somebody comes, knocks on your door, says, I need to talk to you, the master. I need to talk to you. I'm not liking what I'm seeing. or I, um, We need to talk about your job. How do you respond to that knock? Oh, come on in. Let, let, me, let me hear what you got to say. Wow, that's, that's so cool that you're taking the time to tell me what you don't like. Really? You want to listen to this? Oh, yeah. I, wanna, I want correction. I want to get on course. I want to be the best I can be. And I can't get there without correction, without instruction, without reproof, without knowing exactly how you want it done and when you want it done. We're teachable. We don't get arrogant and say, oh, I know better than him. He should be knocking on my door anyway. That's the world. But the principle God, principles God gives us as Christians is is how to respond submissively. And that submissiveness is going to include this, this listening ear to listen to correction and instruction so that we can do it the way it needs to be done. Fifth ingredient is just being cheerful. Positive attitude. Um, Proverbs 17, 22 is just a great uh, verse to remember. The benefits of cheerfulness proverbs 17 22 says a joyful heart is good medicine a broken spirit drives up the bone joyful heart you see somebody who smiles i wish i could smile more they say it takes less muscles to smile i don't know it takes seems like it takes a lot for me you know i, I sometimes i practice smiling i don't do it in the mirror because it doesn't impress me you know but I don't want to, I don't want to look sad. I want to be encouraging. And a cheerful countenance is encouraging. 
And you can't be encouraging if you're not encouraged, if you're not content with your station in life, if you're content with submissiveness... You see, everything else is a plus. You, you can live cheerfully. Submissive, getting this principle that I am under authority and I'm okay with that, that I'm going to live my life as a submissive slave to Christ, when we get that, it will create in us a more cheerful attitude. We don't have to fear. We don't have to worry what's going to go on. Master's in charge. I don't have to worry about it. I'm just going to live my life in submission to Him and it creates within us peace, not negativity. And other people like that. Creates some of the best workers around. Well, that's some of the fruit, I think, of submissiveness. Let's move on to the principle of sincerity. Uh, we saw it, again, several places. Verse 5, do what you do with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. There's, there needs to be this contemplation of your motives what's coming out of my heart what why am i doing what i'm doing he says you need to be doing it to please christ verse six not by way of eye service not pleasing people but as slaves of christ doing the will of god the reason i'm doing it is because i really want to do the will of god do you how many of you drive better when there's a police car behind you I drive, I drive differently. I don't know that I drive better, but I do drive differently when somebody's watching. The principle here is you should be driving that way whether somebody's watching or not. It's not eye service. It's, it's not doing it so people see what you're doing, but you're doing it because that sincerely is the way you want to live your life. You want to live your life pleasing to God. So it doesn't matter whether someone's looking or not. Um, we should be thrilled if somebody's looking over our shoulders. Yeah, watch me. Because what I'm doing, I'm doing from the heart. Uh, and so I don't mind that you look. It's, it's, it's sincere effort for you to please. I remember when I was... Um, in college, making money between uh, semesters, I worked at Dan River Carpet Company um, up in Greer. And one of the jobs I, I was put in charge of at some point uh, was, um, was shipping. So uh, in shipping, uh, we'd jump on the forklift, go through all the bins of carpet samples. We were in the sample department. And pull off all these samples and then bring it back to our shipping station, put them in cardboard boxes. It had to weigh everything because if UPS was going to take it, which is what... Our contract was with them. You know, couldn't weigh more than 50 pounds. So we're, we're stacking everything up, boxing, it, boxing everything up, weighing everything, putting the labels on them, getting it ready for shipping. Well, if we worked hard, I mean, every, every morning when we got to work, we had, you know, this big printout. These are, the, these are the orders. These customers need these items. So our job was to go get those items, box those items, and mail those items. That's what we had to do that day. There were times when it, I felt like we could do eight hours of work in three hours. I said, look, if we do it this way, da 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 we get it, da 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 we're done. Now we're twiddling our thumbs because the company doesn't have another printout. And they, sometimes maybe they weren't used to people working that fast just getting it done. 
I was a youngster not really knowing what to do with my time. So when the boss came around, somebody's looking over your shoulder, you know, you would try to look busy. We're doing something. He knew we didn't, you know, as long as we got our work done, I mean, he was happy. Well, there were times, I just tell you, we made little footballs out of carpet. And on those, you know, think of a big Lowe's or Home Depot, big aisles. You know, we could throw those things down the warehouse, play a little football game, you know. We were having fun. One time, I can still, still see his face. You know, I, I let it go. And then the boss comes around the corner like, oh. You know, he, he saw me playing football on the clock. He said, uh, you need to come to my office. We need to talk. So he had that talk, and he told me quite honestly, he says, I know you've done the work, and I don't have any more work for you to do. You've got to figure out a better way to live your life, though. I said, it's demoralizing to all the other employees. If you get to play while they are still working, what are you going to do? How are you going to figure this out? And it taught me some stuff. I said, you're right, I've got to get a better perspective. I got, I've got to learn how to encourage people and build people up. If I can get my work done quick, more quickly, then why can't I chip in and help somebody else do their work? Would you let me do that, go into that apartment and, department and help them out? He said, yeah. Or you let me work on the next day or something. So we, we came up with a plan to work better. But I had to, I had to begin to see that I needed to work all of my time as though the boss was looking. But I really need to live it as though Christ was always looking. And how does Christ want me to spend that time? There's nothing wrong with football, but not on the clock. They weren't paying me for that. And I had to learn how to deal with that. And that's principle. I want what comes out of my heart to be what is seen. That it, I, I'm, I'm here for the company, for the business for the product, for the ministry that we're doing. And if I've got my work done, how can I help get this company further down the road? Maybe it's by helping someone else. Well, to always check your motives. Maybe, maybe we have missed uh, what some of the Puritans understood uh, with the Latin term voci, which we get the word vocation. Calvin used to say, we need to all understand our vocation is a divinely assigned post. This is what we do in life by divine appointment. He says when you get that, you can do that work sincerely. That we all have certain gifts and abilities God has put into us at birth that enable you to do what you do. We have two genders that enable you to do certain things other people can't do. There's a gender that can have babies and a gender that can't. You know, so there's a divine appointment to, to birth babies, to... Um, defend our country. There's different things. And the reformer says, that's God at work. He's given you certain things to do and abilities um, and ways to do it. And you need to, to see that. I, I remember, I forget which house we went to one day for, uh, for a meal. And it was, it was a house that did not have a dishwasher. This was back in the day, too. A lot of houses didn't have a dishwasher. And, but there was a plaque right over the sink that caught my eyes. We were just hanging out in the, in the kitchen, and the plaque said over the sink, Divine services performed here three times daily. And I said, I love that. Because 
we don't typically think about dishwashing being significant. And this person, I don't know who the dishwasher is, whether it was the husband or the wife, but divine, saw the dishwashing as divine service. This is where God has me. This work needs to be done or we don't eat on clean you know, silverware or dishes. And it's a divine service to others, but God's looking. It's a divine service for God. So whatever your vocation is, is it a housewife? Is it a mechanical engineer? Is it the president of the United States? You see, it doesn't matter on this spectrum. Wherever it is that God's given you certain gifts and abilities to do certain things, you're uniquely there. That's your vocational appointment. Do what you do as unto the Lord. It's a divine appointment. When you do it sincerely, from the heart, as though God is looking, you're seeking to perform His will for Him. It changes everything. It makes us the best of the best. Um, you know, so many people who think, this can, you can apply this in many ways, but so many people think, I'm just not worth much. My job's not worth much. It's, I'm not very significant. How do you get to that? You can't get there with the idea, no, my work was divinely commissioned. I was called. It's, it's not just work, it's a calling. It's a divine appointment. I was called into this place to perform this task. It must be significant. Because the Lord of all the universe put me here for this assignment. When you get that, see, it changes everything. We get to live for Jesus. And the most menial tasks are, are raised with significance. And we're not going to know how significant they are, really are until we get to heaven. But Jesus gives us lots of clues. The first will be last. The last will be first. And those who are faithful, even with a widow's might, are more important than some who have the seemingly important stuff in life. Jesus sees significance in lots of little things. So do what we do from the heart as unto the Lord. I've been really trying to work on my worship application, even the songs we were singing. As I was thinking this morning, our first song being How Great Thou Art, I was telling myself as I sang, I'm coaching myself, saying, David, don't sing the words. David, don't sing the words. I sang the words, but what I mean by that, don't, don't do lip service. Don't do lip service. But rather get lost in the wonder of the subject of this song. See, that's the difference. Insignificant song if I just give you the words. But if I get lost in the wonder of how great God is, then God is praised. And my service is significant. Insignificant, significant, doing the same thing. And we need to learn to work that way. Everything we do, we need to work in such a way that it's unto the Lord from our heart and it changes. The work we produce is Christ in the work world. Third principle here, you got the principle of submissiveness, sincerity, and third, just the principle of salary. 
verse 8 and 9 says, Knowing that whatever good each one does, and we're working on being good, being nice, being respectful, being sincere, being submissive, knowing that whatever good each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. God says, I'm going to pay you for what you do. Whether you're the master or whether you're slave, if you do what I'm asking you to do, you will get paid. Verse 9, masters, you, know, you need to be listening here. He says, I've been talking to the slaves, but masters, you, you need to be doing the same things. The same principle of submissiveness and sincerity. I mean, you, as masters, you've got to do it too. And give up this whole idea about threatening. In other words, there's no abuse that should be going on, even on the master level. Don't threaten them. I, mean, I have the position to kill you if you don't do this. Give that up. You need to understand submissiveness. You understand sincerity and doing it for the Lord. Just give up that, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven. And there's no partiality. God says, I'm the one who pays you. I'm in heaven, and I'm not giving preference to masters. I'm not giving preference to slaves. I'm giving the pay, the preferential pay is going to those who keep the commands. Regardless of your station in life, I have appointed y'all different places to be, different things to do, and I want you to learn submissiveness. And I want you to do what you do submissively. And I want you to learn how to do it from the heart as unto me. And I want you to trust me with the pay. Because I will see everything that goes on for the, from the master level to the slave level. And I will pay. That's God's promise. Can we trust him with our pay? When you say, God, they, they don't see how much I really do. Fine. They don't need to. God sees. Let me just trust God with it. That seems to be the principle here. We have a guarantee that we'll get paid. I think we get paid here and there. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. And sometimes we forget the way, the beautiful ways God pays us. I've seen God pay me monetarily. You've seen that. But he also pays me other ways at times. The pay of peace. No anxiety. The pay of being able to sleep through the night. The pay of having children, family, those who believe. The pay of such a supportive church, ministry. There's, there's so many things that God provides to us. The world doesn't get. Trust God with the pay. Do it God's way and say, God, I'm just going to let you take care of that. You've promised it. You're a God of integrity. You know, I, I realized, uh, thinking about this whole concept of submission, submission works when the person at the top of the chain, submission works. Only, it only works this way. When the person at the top of the chain is described as holy, holy, holy. Because if the... The master is holy. He will never abuse. He will never mistreat. He will never misrepresent. He will never underpay. Because he's holy, holy, holy. Submission falls apart when those over us are, are corrupt. But knowing that the one over them is, is not corrupt, he's holy, 
we can trust Him. And that's just wonderful to see life from that perspective. So if you're a Christian boss, what do you do for those under you? They're trusting Christ to take care of them. What should you do? Well, you, you should do some things too. Uh, verse 8, um, seek their welfare. Whatever you're doing, God's seeking their welfare. We need to seek their welfare. Verse 9, we need to not threaten them. We need to be submissive to the Lord. There's, there's ways we will treat those under us because we're Christian bosses. We will seek the welfare of those under us and seek to not threaten them, seek to be submissive. Well, those are the principles of Christianity in the work, work world, I think. I asked God, I said, you know, God, how do you want me to end this? And I struggled with an answer and for a while, and then the Holy Spirit reminded me of Mark 10. And I just want to end it and kind of conclude and introduce communion all with the same passage. It's, it's a beautiful passage on slaves. Mark 10. Verse 42, Jesus speaking, calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. What a glorious text. Christ showing us that he lived his life as a submissive servant for the will of God the Father. He became a slave of all. He was willing to be put into the bondage of sin. That that little act, what many considered an insignificant act, became the chief act. And his pay, his satisfaction, is bringing many sons and daughters to glory. How cool is that? Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your will would be done in our lives, that we would get past the arguments and discussions and inquiries on slavery and just find the joy in being one. Becoming a slave to all, being the slave of Christ, being a bondservant, showing this world it's not about me, but it's about Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who sits on the throne. Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for the, the many ways we have threatened and abused others. Transform us into the best and nicest and most loving of servants. May we be loyal and reliable and honorable and respectful. Those who are prioritizing their days and hours and working and resting all for your honor and glory. Father, we exalt Christ. We thank you for his life for us. Help us to see him now as the one who became a slave, who is high and lifted up, as the name above every name. Let us surrender and submit to him and trust our lives to him.
For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.